0: Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm your host, Anna Ward, Senior Residential Analyst at Knight Frank. And you are listening to the second of our bonus episodes for our flagship magazine, The Wealth Report. So we'll be speaking to contributors to the magazine about the biggest questions for real estate investors. So first up, we have Wealth Report Deputy Editor Flora Harley, and our guest speaker this month is Dr. Sarah Moser. Sarah is an Associate Geography Professor at McGill University in Montreal, Canada, specialising in new cities and urban mega-developments. Hi, Sarah and Flora. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Hi, Anna. Thanks for having us.
0: So, our first question then is How seriously should real estate investors be taking new cities built from scratch? So, whether that's real life mega developments, the kind that Sarah's looking at, or virtual ones in the metaverse, which Flora has been talking about in the Wealth Report, is it worth investing in them? So, Sarah, what was it that first sparked your interest in researching new mega developments and cities around the world?
1: That's a good question. Why did I start doing this? It's really, uh, I didn't know that they were happening in 2006. Nobody was talking about new cities at all. It wasn't in the news. Nobody knew about it in academia. And I kind of heard a random newspaper report about uh, Putrajaya in Malaysia and that the Malaysians were building a new administrative capital. And I thought, this is like the Brasilia of my lifetime. I need to see this. And so I went there and it was pretty mind-blowing to see the scale and the ambition of a project like this with full state backing. And I started studying that one city, and it's twin city Cyberjaya, which is supposed to be this sort of Silicon Valley of Southeast Asia. And then more cities got announced, and I started building up a database. And now the database has about 150. So... Yeah, it's sort of this hot trend that's seen as a, you know, a development vehicle for global South countries.
0: It'd be really interesting to hear from you about which new cities currently being built you think will actually reach completion, perhaps in the next sort of 20 to 30 years. Because I know there's been a lot of talk about all of this, but realistically speaking, you know, which are your sort of top five mega developments that you think are sort of definitely winners and definitely going to be
1: completed? (laughs) That's a really good question. (laughs) Um... They're not going as planned. Um, I think we're seeing setback after setback. Uh, the vast majority of these projects are nowhere near completion. So I think this sort of disappointing news is that of the, the projects that are furthest along include Astana in Kazakhstan, Putrajaya in Malaysia, both of which are capital cities, and both of which have populations that are kind of forced to move there because the state forces the the civil servants and their families to relocate to these new, new capital cities. So the other ones are taking their time to develop. And so it's really hard to say in 20 years, what's going to be the big winner? Um, they're all sort of staggering along at a very slow pace right now. I'm trying to think of any city that's going to be sort of a, a boom town in 30, 20, 30 mm. years. And I think we're still at a too early of a stage to really say.
0: Even ones that, you know, for example, the ones that say billionaires have money behind like the Bill Gates project in Arizona, even projects like that, you still think those are sort of on ice at the moment?
1: I'm wondering what's going to happen with the Bill Gates project, because mm. I can't really tell what it is aside from kind of a housing development like where's the economy where's the downtown yeah. where what's yeah. going to attract people to move there and what's going to attract a variety of people to move there not just sort of people in the high-tech industry like a city needs everyone it needs taxi drivers it needs you know for every economic bracket all the way up to middle class and the rich and I don't see that kind of variety of ecosystem developing in the next, you know, in my lifetime, let's just say. Do
0: you think it's fair to say that, there's this is something that Flora's written quite a lot about, that virtual cities are actually a sort of slightly more realistic prospect, particularly from a real estate investor point of view, because obviously we've got people buying land and buying up property in these sort of metaverse virtual cities. So, I mean, from what you're saying, obviously, these other real projects seem to be facing all sorts of difficulties, so... What would you say about virtual cities at the moment in terms of how that fits into your research?
1: Well, I don't look at the metaverse, but I'm actually very relieved to see people like Mark Zuckerberg spending his time in the metaverse and spending his energy and resources there. I would much rather see him stay in the metaverse and stay out of our (laughs) cities. Um, and okay. we've seen the sort of debacle of <laughs> yeah. the Keyside project in Toronto. Yeah. And that's sort of a little taste of what big tech can do in our cities. And it failed spectacularly.
0: We'll definitely come on to that actually in a second, because I think it'll be really interesting, particularly as you're in Canada to get your take. And um, before we do that, though, Flora, what is your take at the moment on the MetaFest and Mark Zuckerberg playing in the virtual city and what it means for real estate investors at the moment?
2: I think there's a lot of opportunities. I mean, we talked to a couple of interviewees in The Wealth Report this year, uh, Yatsu, for example, who's the co-founder and CEO of Animaker Brands, which has investments in The Sandbox, Decentraland and many others. So there's obviously lots of different metaverses. And he talks about open versus closed, which is what Mark Zuckerberg and is arguably doing as a closed, where he's talking about sort of that open metaverse and, and the opportunities there. And what he spoke to was that the growth potential in terms of investment opportunities will far outstrip what physical assets have potential to grow over over the coming years, which is definitely one take on it. And I think it's interesting because it is creating new opportunities for and new jobs around the world. We're seeing, you know, digital architects, digital designers. And what's really interesting is that the value of property, it sort of mimics the physical uh, value of property. It's all about location. It's all about amenities that matter. So in the way that new cities in the physical world would have to have all these amenities and have that draw to bring people in. It's the same in the metaverse. I just guess there's a lot more access and people are probably more willing to virtually go to cities than physically move because there's a lot of barriers when you're looking at physical mobility rather than that virtual mobility. But it's definitely got a lot of opportunities and areas. And I think it's the amount of opportunities and what we're going to see in even five years, even in the metaverse, is so unknown at the moment. But I, I think
0: it's it's quite an exciting space and one that we we'd like to delve into. I mean, during your research for the wealth report and speaking to high net worths and real estate investors, I mean, what's your sense of the interest in investment in the metaverse? Are people sort of quite cautious about it at the moment? Do you think it is a solid bet for investment going forward, even if it is fairly risky? Well,
2: I think as I said, there's still a lot unknown, and um, it, one of the questions questions we ask in our Attitude survey is, is there interest in blockchain? And and increasingly, it's being seen as an opportunity for investors. I think 61% in our Attitude survey said it's an increasing opportunity. But the biggest barrier is is understanding and people don't quite understand how it works or where the opportunities lie. And at the moment, there's so many different, if you're looking just in the cryptocurrency sphere, you're not even looking in the metaverse. There's an array of cryptocurrencies and tokens. So how do you choose which one's going to win? The jury is still out. And as I said, uh, there's a lot more room to run. And it's the same with metaverses. There's not just one. There are so many. There's closed, there's open, and the spectrum is vast. So it's hard to pick it. And I think there's a lot more education needed before it becomes an even bigger investment player. It's still quite a a small in the investment world.
0: Okay, Sarah, just looking at big tech and sort of the games that they're playing at the moment, do you see them still taking the physical Mega Development City game seriously? Are they still keen on investing in it. I know we touched earlier on the fact that obviously Google's project in Canada, the Sidewalk Lab City project in Toronto, obviously face problems. So yeah, where does that leave
1: big tech and all of this? It's a really good question. Big tech's still in the game, although I think there's been a bit of a chill in recent years. There's sort of a reality check that a lot of these new city projects are not living up to their hype. The tech dates very quickly. So a lot of these challenges are being uncovered by scholars and by journalists just in the recent years. And so some of these tech companies have allocated fewer resources to R&D in this area. And I think that Keyside cast a real chill uh, across the industry. Um, When this failed, I think it's sort of a cautionary tale at this point. And another project called Union Point, south of Boston, also collapsed. It sort of rose and fell within just a few years. And it was one of these sort of self-proclaimed smart cities that was going to solve all the problems and be a sort of a testing ground for all sorts of urban technology. But what we're seeing is the tech dates And what is super futuristic one year is hopelessly out of date in five years. Ironically, just to add to what Alphabet City is up to now, after so many years of claiming that they were building this sort of walkable high-tech city of the future, the project did collapse. And Alphabet City sort of morphed into this company that's now building highways to facilitate driverless cars. So yeah, it's surviving somehow without the city part and with just the road part.
0: So do you see Google returning to, the, I mean, I guess there's no news at the moment. So what My understanding was that Signed Walk Lab basically got sort of reabsorbed into Google. But since then, there hasn't been an update on future plans. But you're not hearing of anything further on new cities in Toronto.
1: That's done. I don't think we're ever going yeah. to see it again. I think the public is pretty enraged right now. So it would have to be a very special type of project with completely different governance in order to enter the Canadian market again.
0: And just circling back, Flora, to you and the cities index, obviously a big part of the new cities are smart cities and tech and so on. I mean, of the cities that did well in this year's index, which would you say are doing some interesting things on smart city tech at the moment?
2: It's a tricky one because I think there's there's a balance to strike between collecting data and sort of the smart city elements and sort of that privacy and I think that was something that I know there was a lot of backlash in in the alphabet city because of that you know you had to really warrant if you were going to live there you had to give over a lot of personal data and again on that smart tech side there's got to be a willingness for that if that's how you want to live your life so I think that that faces a lot of backlash I don't know if Sarah would know better than I but I think there's some interesting um, stuff going on in Dubai in Singapore in terms of sort of the the trying to move towards a a higher tech lifestyle as well as that again more sustainable lifestyle because I think that's possibly one of the biggest drives and and the two can go hand in hand you know if you have better data better monitoring you're therefore going to be able to have better handle on how sustainable or how eco-friendly the city is so I think that's a a couple of interesting ones to watch I know Singapore in in particular we feature that in the Wealth Report and they have you know some interesting um sustainability measures you know indoor farming uh these big solar panels sort of trees um which which are amazing and and some of the stuff that's going on there is is quite fascinating actually and i think that's really one to watch
0: sarah do you agree with that i mean obviously you don't have to use data in such an intrusive way i mean what would you say are acceptable ways that big tech or indeed governments could be using data effectively in cities to improve lives of residents there
1: I think retrofitting existing cities is the way to go. I mean, it makes the most sense. It's way less risky because you already are doing these interventions where people actually want to live, uh, rather than doing them in these sort of far-flung locations where it's very hard to get people to move into the middle of you know nowhere to live in a smart city. No matter how smart it is, no matter how green it is, it's still not where people want to live. So I think you're right. I think Dubai and Singapore are experimenting in ways that are more effective interventions where millions of people already live so that's I think really the most exciting frontier
0: and obviously you're quite skeptical about these projects generally what would you say is your sort of desire by by researching this and so on is I mean is your desired objective to encourage investors to retrofit or focus on existing cities are you saying that you actually think starting from scratch in all cases, it's not a good idea, or do you think there are exceptions to that where, for some countries, a new city would actually make sense?
1: Yeah, I think for some countries, it absolutely makes sense. If the population is concentrated in one major city and that city is totally congested and full, it makes sense to deconcentrate the population. But I think the rhetoric has to match the reality a little bit more closely because people are getting a bit suspicious and cynical about these projects when they say, we're going to have flying cars and a completed city with a million people in six years. You know, these sort of outlandish claims that I think maybe were quite exhilarating and exciting 15 years ago. And now I think people are a bit onto what they're doing.
0: Just to finish, Sarah, what is your sort of In terms of the city that you think is doing this right, there must be one out there that you think, actually, this is really exciting. This is actually going to make a difference and will be innovative and inspirational for other cities coming out of the ground. I mean, what's your favorite city?
1: We're still at the very early stages. And so what you're asking me to pick is who has the best promotional material that looks the most appealing. And I really can't answer that because I don't think that they're going to deliver as promised. I think there are some cities that are promising in terms of green and sustainable. Putrajaya, the capital of Malaysia, it's very green. It's very pretty. I don't think it's necessarily a model city because not everyone has the government behind them and lots and lots of land. So it's sort of a wait and see type of answer, I think.
0: So if you were to pick one, it would be the one in Malaysia. If you had to, that would be the one you'd say is on the right track.
1: I would say it's on the right track in terms of creating a place that is green and livable. Um, It's not an inclusive city at all. It's just for civil servants. So again, it's it's sort of a flawed, uh, maybe in 50 years, I'll have a different view. Uh, But we really need time. And I think these city builders are selling their projects as being, we'll finish them in six, eight, 10 years. And any city needs 50 years to kind of grow and expand in an organic way. So I don't believe the promises that they're going to finish a city completely within a decade. It's, it's wait and see. Presumably in your research, you have to look at this. You know, you must look at regions
0: and have to look at different priorities and competing interests. So, for example, that city in Malaysia, maybe that does work for civil servants. Maybe that's the ideal location for that. But do you have different sets of criteria on what you're rating these cities on or evaluating them on, for example?
1: I think follow through is really important and they can make the most beautiful PowerPoint presentations in the world and the most beautiful videos and websites. And if they're not following through, it's a real red flag that they won't do anything that they promise. And again, we're at the early stages. So a lot of these are sort of conceptual more than actual cities. But watching the early stages, you can even see the disconnect there when they promise something that is nowhere near close to what they've actually laid out in their plans. So the unrealistic dimension is is really troubling for me. And I've been studying this long enough now that I'm sort of seeing that this is a really ongoing entrenched pattern. Yeah, really, really
0: interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about all of this. Great to get your view. I mean, it's such an interesting area. Obviously, you've clearly got quite a realistic uh, view on on these projects and how likely they are to come to fruition. And thanks, Flora, as well, for giving us a bit of an insight as well into some of the articles that you've been writing in the Wealth Report. Thanks, Anna. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. So the exciting news is that for this bonus episode, we actually have some extra bonus material for you all. So we've got some extra chat from both Flora and Sarah, because we all, all felt actually that there was so much to say about cities that, frankly, they just couldn't stop talking. So here's a bit more from Flora and Sarah.
1: I feel like there's so many more issues to get at what about sort of big picture issues that make these projects challenging to Uh, make money off of. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's money to be made, even if the cities fail. I think that's one of the findings of my research and, I mean, it's disturbing. I don't want people to yeah. um, think that that's a good possibility, but money yeah. is made in projects that never break ground. It's very corrupt. Yeah. Is that
2: one that you track in uh, New Zealand? I spoke to the guy doing it a few years ago, but I haven't actually kept up with how far it's got. Oranga, it was a suburb of Auckland. I don't know if that's got any further... You're shaking your head like, that. Nah, it's not getting very uh, far. New Zealand have got a
0: few no. problems on their plate, don't they? Oh, sad
1: time. And I don't know if you that's follow lovely. the... Uh, Mark Laurie's project. uh, He's building a new sort of futuristic city. He's the guy who started diapers.com, which is like Amazon for babies. It's the age of high tech ambition in city building. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in the US. I mean, the Middle East and mm. Asia has been doing it for decades and now the US wants to get in on the game. It's fascinating.
2: Yeah, I feel like Asia is a hub of just trying to build new mega cities and stuff. I mean, you've got Indonesia also moving their capital, but isn't that because Jakarta is overpopulated and sinking? So
1: <laughs> needs must there. Um, <laughs> But yeah. there's money to be made and there's opportunities to make a better city. So I'm, I'm always hopeful when these projects get announced. And I think we can do things to make them better, whether they actually happen or the project gets watered down beyond recognition. Let's see.
0: So to read more about megacities and Sarah's research, you can have a read of our Cities of the Future article on page 80 of the Wealth Report. And you can also read about the cities topping our annual city wealth index on page 70 in the magazine. And for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details on that. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next Wealth Report special episode in a month's time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks Wealth Report special.